Thank you all for that. Reminds me of what Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Thank God for being patient with us, and we need that patience in our own lives as we make our way through this life. Take your Bible, please, and turn with me to the book of John, the 10th chapter. We're going to read verses 1 through 16 together from the Gospel of John, the 10th chapter. John chapter 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers." This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd." Bible scholars are agreed that the Old Testament background of this teaching of Jesus is found in Ezekiel 34, which we read a bit earlier. And the shepherds of Ezekiel's day were shepherds who fed themselves. They really didn't care anything about the sheep. They saw sheep as the means to the end of lining their own pockets, feeding themselves. They neglected their responsibilities, which included that they were to strengthen the weak. They were to seek those who had strayed away from the flock, to find those who were lost, to bind up the wounds of those who were injured. They were neglectful of their responsibility, and it irritated God to no end. To the point that God said, the day is coming when I'm going to eradicate, I'm simply going to wipe out all 
false shepherds, and I'm going to do the shepherding of the sheep. I will see that my people Israel will be properly fed. They will be properly protected. They will be properly led. And then he says something remarkable by way of prophecy, actually, about what's going to happen at a time undesignated in the future. He says in verses 23 and 24 of Ezekiel 34, And I will set over, over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I thought David was dead in Ezekiel's day. And I would be right to think that. Like 400 years dead, actually, in Ezekiel's day. So how in the world is David going to be sent by God to take care of the flock of Israel? Well, the answer is clear. This is a prophecy prophesying the coming of the Messiah, who would indeed be the shepherd of Israel. And we know his name to be Jesus Christ. And you perhaps know the word Christ literally means Messiah. Jesus the Messiah. And Jesus did come. And by the way, lest you've forgotten, David was the ancestor of Jesus. In fact, Paul, writing in 1 Timothy chapter 3, describes Jesus this way. He was descended humanly from David. So, Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy. And now I ask you to go to the book of Psalms, the 78th chapter of Psalms. We're going to read three verses, which will be the primary text for the message. Psalm 78, verses 70 through 72. Verse 70 of Psalm 78 says, He chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. Now, I probably don't have to tell you that David was not what we would call a prophet in his day. David was not really what would be called a pastor if he lived today. David was what we would call a layman. He was the leader of the whole nation of Israel. Now, this is important for me to say before going forward. Originally, and consequently, ideally today, every leader, whether he be a person whom we might call a religious leader, or she might be a person who might be called a political leader, or you might be a person who is a leader in your family. And by the way, men, you are called to be the head of your family, to lead your family. You're called to shepherd your family. That's what God has called you and me to do, to be the shepherd of our own family. Well, all leadership 
from God's viewpoint, is to be spiritual. We need spiritual leadership in our homes. We need spiritual leadership in our churches, of course. We need spiritual leadership in our communities and in the workplaces all over El Paso and all over the world. We need spiritual leaders in governmental positions. We need spiritual people leading. And so what we're going to look at today must not be mistaken as a message which is simply for people like me who have been given a responsibility for the spiritual leadership of a congregation of the sheep of Christ. It's for all of us. Please keep that in mind. The best definition, and it's one I think you'll remember I've ever read, as to what constitutes leadership is this. Leadership is influence. There's nothing that any human being does that is not influential in some way, either positively or negatively. Do an experiment with me. Let's inhale. Let's just inhale. Now exhale. I'm told on good authority that you and I individually just inhaled at least three nitrogen atoms which were inhaled by Moses, by Abraham, by David, by Jesus, by the apostles, by Martin Luther, by Martin Luther King, by Mother Teresa, any person who has preceded us in history, going all the way back to Adam and Eve, inhaled one of those three, or three of those nitrogen atoms which you inhale. So, what we do in time has long-term influence over the history of mankind. So, as we look at this passage of Scripture, let's keep in mind what the traits of an effective leader are. There are really two areas that are important. And they're spoken of in verse 72. With upright heart, David shepherded the people of Israel and guided these people with a skillful hand. We're going to look at the character traits that are necessary for you and me to have the right sort of influence on other people. Then we're going to take time to look at the competencies which are characteristic of us in general and you in specific when it comes to our being effective leaders. Let's begin considering the character traits of an effective leader. Look again at the first couplet in verse 72. With upright heart, he shepherded them. The New International Version translates that line this way. David shepherded the flock of Israel with integrity of heart. The English word integrity is a word which is related in the English language to the word integer. You probably know that an integer is a whole number. Someone who is a person of integrity is a whole person, a complete person. Our English words holy and whole, spelled with a W to begin with, come from the same English word. So a man or a woman of integrity is a person 
who is a person who is a whole person. And that person has been made whole by the Lord Jesus Christ. David knew of his own tendency not to be a person of integrity. So he says in Psalm 86, 11, praying to the Lord, Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. So David knew what it was to have a shattered heart, a broken heart, a heart which was in pieces. And he prayed the Lord to bring that back together, to make him whole again. Perhaps you've come here today with a degree of brokenness in your heart. Well, the Lord wants to make you whole today. And certainly He will. And wholeness is important. In fact, beyond important, it's essential for us to be the kind of leaders that God would have us to be. So let's look at David. He's our example. He is described in this text as having been chosen to be the servant of God, and God took him from the sheepfolds. Here's the first trait that I would highlight from the life of David that qualified him to be the kind of leader with an upright heart. In fact, this flowed from his being a person of integrity. And it's this, he was a person of humility. He was a simple shepherd. And he was one of eight sons of a man named Jesse, who was of the tribe of Judah, who had his flock shepherded in a region around Bethlehem. That should ring a bell to you. It's where Jesus was born, a descendant of David. He was. And David himself says this about himself. In the book of 1 Samuel 18, 18, he says this. He said, I am a poor man and of no reputation. He was not even the first choice of Samuel the prophet. When Samuel went under orders of God to go and select the king who was a man after God's own heart to succeed Saul who had failed the test of being an effective leader, an effective shepherd of Israel. He picked seven other sons first. And God said, not him. Started with Eliab and he went down the list to the seventh one. None of those men represented the man that God had in mind. And so he asked Jesse, their father, do you not have another son? He said, yes, I have another son. But he's just a little shepherd boy out taking care of my flock of sheep. And he said, go get him. And he was the one. He came from a position of humility. And I doubt if he ever forgot it. There is a man from ancient history. His name was Agathocles. He was the son of a potter. He lived in Sicily. He was taught the trade by his father. He learned how to take clay and put water and put the clay on the potter's wheel and to fashion the pottery into something that would be useful and to take it and put it in the kiln and fire that piece of pottery. Earthenware. He became king not because he was the descendant of royalty. In fact, this man, Agathocles, he was a man who was also a man of humble roots. And in order for him to never forget that fact, this is what he did. He refused, after having become king, to be fed on the plates of silver and gold, which were part of the stock of 
feeding utensils in the king's palace. He refused. He insisted every meal which he took to be served to him on earthenware to remind him of where he came from. All of us, reality would tell us, come from humble roots if we really think about it. Isn't that true? David especially was. And it actually made it easier for him to be the kind of leader that he was. He didn't have an inflated perspective of himself. This is what he says in one of his psalms, Psalm 131. He says this. He says, I do not occupy myself with things too difficult for me. He goes on to say that I do not occupy, occupy myself with things too difficult or marvelous for me. That's the statement of a humble man. And he was a humble man. It's seen in many ways. If you would study his life carefully, you would see his humility popping up repeatedly. He was also a man who had a respect for authority. Humility is very important to being an effective leader. In fact, it's essential. We must not do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than ourselves. That was the attitude which was found in the person of Jesus. I hope you understand that Jesus did nothing without first checking in with God the Father. This is what the text of Scripture teaches us in the Gospel of John. He only did what He heard the fathers tell Him to do, and He only did what He saw the Father do. That was Jesus' M.O. He, being very God Himself, become man, submitted Himself in that sense. He humbled Himself. So, we see respect also in Saul, in David rather, in the way He related to Saul. You may remember on two occasions, he had the opportunity to kill Saul. Why would he want to kill Saul? Well, Saul was hounding him. He had become a fugitive. Remember, he was the one, I'm talking about David now, who delivered Israel from the hand of the Philistines by taking Goliath the giant down. He had no intention of doing anything except to glorify God by representing God in that one-on-one battle with the giant of Philistia, Goliath. He had no designs on the throne of Israel. He had great respect for Saul. He had two opportunities to take his life. He did not do it, though. And his explanation to his men as to why he didn't take the opportunity that was so clearly presented to him was simply this. I cannot do something like that and kill the anointed of God. Even though Saul was a mess as far as the leader was concerned, he could not do it because he had respect for authority. Now listen very carefully. Remember, we all have influence. And in that sense, we all have some role of leadership, some greater than others. But listen carefully. In order to be a good sheep, one must learn how to be, excuse me, in order to be a good shepherd, one must first learn to be a good sheep. You've got to learn to follow before you can be an effective leader. You've got to have respect for the authority which has been placed over you. Here's a third trait from David's life. 
He had concern for others. There was a man named Nabal, whose story is recorded in 1 Samuel 25. He was a very wealthy man, but a very foolish man. In fact, his name Nabal in Hebrew means fool, is what it means. And this man was a man who had lots of sheep. And David was accompanied by 600 men. They were all fugitives, all 600 of them. They were discouraged men. They were in debt. They were despondent. They were depressed men. But they gathered around David and they followed him. It's a picture of the kind of people that Jesus gathers around himself, people who are hurting people. And David instructed those men to protect the flocks of Nabal. He didn't even know Nabal, nor did Nabal know him. He didn't know anything about Nabal. But he had a concern for others because, remember, he himself had been a shepherd. And whenever rustlers would come around, he knew that shepherds would be vulnerable because of the ways of those rustlers to steal the sheep. And therefore, during all that time, when David and his men were in the region where Nabal shepherded his sheep through his shepherds who worked for him. Not a single sheep or lamb was taken from the flock. And it was because David had concern for them. In the book of Philippians chapter 2-4, the Bible says, Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, I'm particularly fond of the biblical character Timothy. Paul's true son in the faith. And this is what Paul did. He sent Timothy to the Philippians, whom he loved very much. Paul loved the Philippian church, probably as much if not more than any other church that he started. He sent him. And this is why he sent him. He said, I have no one else like Timothy who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. That's what I would call proper concern, isn't it? Nobody else like Timothy who will take a genuine interest in you, really, is what Paul was saying to the Philippians. And then he says this. I can see Paul musing. It's almost like an afterthought. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this is what he wrote. Everyone else looks out for their own interest and not the interest of Jesus Christ. What is Jesus most interested in? He's most interested in his sheep. Timothy was a sheep. Timothy also was a shepherd. And when he was sent by Paul to the Philippians, Paul was sure that he would look after the Philippians properly and God would be honored by that. We are to be concerned for other people if we are going to be people who walk in the integrity of our hearts. We're also going to be faithful. David was humble. David was respectful of authority. David had concern for others, but he was also faithful. In fact, these are his own words in 1 Samuel chapter 26, 23. I am faithful. David's son, Solomon, in Proverbs 20, verse 6, writes these words. Many a man declares his own loyalty, but a faithful man who can find. Faithful people were in short supply in Solomon's day, and they're in short supply today. God is eager 
He's almost begging for faithful people. People who first and foremost are faithful to Him. David was faithful to God. Remember, he's described as a man after, after God's own heart in 1 Samuel and also in Acts chapter 13. He had the highest degree of faithfulness, except in one matter he was faithful. That had to do, as the scriptures say, in the matter of Uriah the Hittite, who was the husband of Bathsheba. And you remember that story, which eventuated in adultery and murder, and David was guilty. But in all other matters, he was faithful to God. He was faithful to others. His best friend, Jonathan. I love that relationship as it's explained to us and unfolds in Scripture. Don't you love the story of Jonathan and David? And they came at a point in their lives where it looked like they were no longer going to be able to have fellowship with each other. They made a covenant with each other. And the covenant went like this. Jonathan said, Nothing will come between me and you. And nothing will come between my offspring and your offspring. They made a covenant. In other words, if something happened to Jonathan, David agreed by covenant, promise, he could not break it or he'd break his word. He agreed in faithfulness, I'll take care of your offspring. And Jonathan was saying, in the event that something happens to you, David, I will take care of your offspring. Well, Jonathan died at the hands of the enemies of Israel. He was shamed. His head was taken off, hanged in public. And he left some offspring. At one point, after David assumed the throne, after both Saul and Jonathan had died, Jonathan, remember, was the heir apparent. He was the one who would succeed Saul. But he submitted himself to this young man who he saw as God's man. But David was thinking about the promise that had been made by himself to Jonathan that he would take care of any offspring who were left. And he said, is there no one who is a descendant of Jonathan? And the answer was, yes, sire, there is someone. And he took care of that person. He fulfilled his promise. He was a faithful man. Are you a faithful person? Are you a person whose word is your bond? If you say you're going to do something, do you do it? We all forget things from time to time. But if you remember it, do you do it? This is characteristic of a person whose life is of influence. David was also a forgiving person. We know about one of his most embarrassing moments. His son Absalom was running him out on a rail from Jerusalem. And he with a band of supporters are leaving in shame from the citadel of Jerusalem. As they're leaving, there's a man who hates David because this man in question, Shimei, was from the tribe of Benjamin. And remember, King Saul was from the tribe. And he hated the thought that there was not a descendant of Benjamin who sat on the throne of Israel. And as David is embarrassedly leaving, this man is cursing him on the side of the road. He's throwing rocks at him. And this is what David's entourage said, Sire, do you want us to kill him? And David said, slow down, boys. No. 
We're just leaving here. God is speaking to me through this man. You know the rest of the story? Absalom died in the battle between the forces of David and his own forces. And David was called back to be king by the people. He makes his way back. He's coming up the road into the city of Jerusalem. And people are greeting him. And among those, amazingly, is this man, Shimei who had cursed him and thrown stones at him as he was leaving. And the same group of men said, Okay, Master, this is our chance. Let us have this man's head. David said, No. I meant when I said the first time, it still stands. He shows a forgiving spirit. Do you have any resentment toward anyone in your life? Are you bitter toward other people? Today, may I tell you, it'll kill you. It's a proven fact. Psychologists and doctors who observe sources of premature death, we would call in people, many times cite the things which lead to such death to a refusal to let go. Smoldering anger and resentment. Let the person go. Release that person. And in so doing... Release that person of the things which she or he has done to you. Release him. And what will happen is you'll find yourself being set free too. People who have influence, great leaders, have built into their character a forgiving spirit. Also, David was persevering. I won't stay long here. There's an account told in 1 Samuel chapter 30. He was leading his troops They were hot on the heels of the enemy. They came to a river they had to ford. Many of the men were worn out. About a third of them, they stayed behind. But David pushed on. Where did the stamina come from? Where did the perseverance come from? It came from the Lord. Because God was using him and empowering him to do what he was doing to defeat the enemies of Israel. And we think, I do at least, of another episode which occurred A couple of hundred years earlier, when Gideon, the judge of Israel at the time, was taking his troops, only 300, and they defeated the Midianites and they were pursuing them. And the Bible says they were pursuing yet exhausted. This life is a life which wears people out. And we need to understand, when we follow the Lord, we will grow tired. But the Bible says, do not grow weary in doing good. Because if you keep on showing endurance, you keep on trusting me, you run with perseverance the race which is marked out for you, in due time you will reap a reward. Just keep sowing to the Spirit, not to the flesh, and that will be the case. David was a persevering Man, this quality is the quality of people who are effective leaders. They don't quit. They find the resources internally to go forward. And this is the one, perhaps, which came to your mind immediately if you were thinking like this. When I said, what were the traits of David? There were a reflection of integrity of heart. You probably thought he was courageous. Wasn't he a brave young man? Facing off with this monster of a Man, Goliath, over nine feet tall, armed with a sword and 
also a spear and a javelin. I don't know the difference between a spear and a javelin, but they were both thrown, right? And this guy was strong. He could throw very far. He had one for each hand. You know what David entered the battle with? He had his shepherd's staff. That's what the Bible says. Shepherd's staff. He entered the battle with. And five smooth stones and a sling. That's all he had. He was courageous. From where did his courage come? Well, his courage came from the Spirit of the Lord. Because the Bible says in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. God gives us the power to rise above our own fears because He's with us. He said, I come against you in the name of the Lord God of the host of heaven. He said that when He faced off against Goliath. And you know the rest of the story. Here's the eighth trait. He was comfortable in His own skin. I really like this one. How do we know he was comfortable in his own skin? If we were to take time and read the entire story in 1 Samuel 17, this is what we would discover. So Saul hears there's this young boy, teenage boy probably, who's come and he's willing to face off one-on-one with Goliath who's been taunting Israel's forces day after day, week after week, month after month, saying, hey, let's just get this settled. I'll fight your best warrior and whoever wins will take control of the other's country. Well, Saul calls David into his presence. And the Scripture actually says Saul puts his own bronze helmet on the boy. And then he puts his own coat of mail, that would be uh, an armor made out of metal of some sort, on his thorax on this part of his body. He dresses him. And all of a sudden, David, I mean, he just, he just doesn't like the feel of that. He gives him his sword. He puts the sword around his waist. He gives him his sword. And if you read the text carefully, there are only two swords in all of Israel, if you look at it. Jonathan and, and David had the only, I mean, uh, Jonathan and Saul had only two swords. And all of a sudden, he just says, this, I can't do this. This is not me. So he takes those things off, all the armor and the sword. And he goes into battle with the sling and the stones. That tells me that he was comfortable in his own skin. May I say to you that when you are a person who has integrity of heart, you've come to terms with who you are. I'm not talking about the character defects. That hopefully has already been destroyed decided in your mind, and you've been thinking about that as we've worked our way through the positive traits of a leader. It's not about sin. It's about just who you are. David says in Psalm 139, when he's talking about himself, as he's thought about God, and he's thought about how God has created him, and he says, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Sounds like an egotist, doesn't it? But when you read it, you notice what he's saying. He said, I was formed by you cell by cell in my mother's womb. 
So you punched in the genetic code. He didn't know anything about genetics, but that's what he was thinking if you look carefully. You made me who I was in my first birth, and then I came to know you in my second birth. I was born in sin, he says in Psalm 51, but in my second birth, the new birth we would call it, Jesus would call it, then I am given certain gifts there too. So he had natural talents and spiritual gifts which equipped him to be whom God wanted him to be. Be yourself in Christ. Quit trying to be somebody else. Don't let somebody else dress you. Let you be dressed. The Bible says, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the kind of garment that will prepare you to be a person who has great influence. Here's the last thing. He had a strong bent in the direction of glorifying God. In the book of First Chronicles 29, beginning with verse 11, he's praising the Lord, he's praying to the Lord. First Chronicles 29, 11 says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the victory for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is Yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And You are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from You. And You rule over all. In Your hand are power and might. And Your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank You, our God, And praise your glorious name. As I was reading this, I hope you had the same impression I had. There's emphasis on the Lord. He doesn't use the pronoun I. One time he uses the pronoun we. But he was intent upon glorifying the Lord. This is really the concept which encompasses all the other concepts which were his traits. We are people who need to concentrate on character development, which raises a very practical question. What is the source of such development? Well, I'm going to talk about three different sources, and they're interrelated. Here's the first source. He was shaped, his character, and he were shaped by the Holy Spirit of God. When he was anointed to be king, while still a shepherd boy in his father Jesse's house in a little out-of-the-way village known as Bethlehem, the Scripture says the Spirit of God rushed upon him from that day forward. From that day forward, the Spirit of God was in his life and controlling his life, empowering his life, guiding his life. And he was shaped by the Spirit of God. We are to be filled with the Spirit of God. We're commanded to keep on being filled. All of you, y'all, keep on being filled, is what it literally said, by the Spirit of God. That means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. We are to yield ourselves to the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit of God. Also, he was shaped by the Word of God. We know the Spirit of God inspired the Word of God and illuminates the Word of God. He says in 2 Samuel 23, 2, The Spirit of the Lord speaks by me and His Word is on my tongue. David spoke the Word of the Spirit of God. 
We know 73 of the 150 Psalms in the book of Psalms are attributed to the one who is called the sweet psalmist of Israel in the book of 1 Samuel. 2 Samuel, rather. And what we know about him is he spoke the word of God, but it was not his first acquaintance with the word of God. Because he says in Psalm 19:7, listen to what he says. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Using a synonym for that, he goes on to say that the precepts of the Lord are right, pure, enlightening the eyes. So he knew the Word of God. And the Word of God shaped him too. The Spirit of God used the Word of God the Bible, as we would call it, to shape this man to become the leader he was. And he was shaped by his trust in God too. He could have chosen not to trust the Lord. And we see him doing it over and over again in his life. His trust in God ensured victory. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 18 and again in 2 Samuel 5 that the Lord was with him everywhere he went. No matter what he undertook, the Lord was with him. And then in 2 Samuel chapter 8, twice, this is what the writer says, that the Lord gave him victory wherever he went. Why? He trusted in the Lord. We will find victory in our lives if we trust in the Lord. It's seen, this trust is seen in his dependence upon God for direction. Every time he was going into some sort of situation, that was to be an expression of his leading Israel as a shepherd would lead sheep. He would consult the Lord. And he inquired of God over and over again. That's what you call dependence, isn't it? That's what's to be true of you and me. Well, competency, character before career. Remember that. Your character is critically important. It's more important than your career. You will be a failure in life if you do not have good character. And the only way to get good character is to be in a submitted relationship to God and to the Holy Spirit of God and to Jesus, the Son of God, as well. Let's go back to Psalm 78. And let's look at what... David is described as being in terms of a man who has had integrity of heart. In the 70th, 78th chapter and the 72nd verse, it says, He guided them with his skillful hand. And the word translated skillful really means sensitive, with a sensitive hand. He wanted to make sure he used his hands properly and he treated those whom he led, who were his sheep, properly, with gentleness. That's the way we who are shepherds today are to treat the people whom God has entrusted to our leadership. He was skilled with a pen. I've already mentioned 73 of our Psalms written by him. He was skilled with a pen. He developed his skill in his mind and his heart, but he was skilled with a pen. He was skilled with his fingers as he played what we call the harp. That's a bit misleading. The instrument was less, I would say, advanced than the harps of our day. But it was a stringed instrument which he played. And he could make beautiful music. We don't 
hear of his singing, but I'm sure he had a beautiful voice. Wouldn't you like to have heard him sing a psalm that he wrote? Because he had such a passion for the Lord and such a connection with the Lord. His hand wielded in battle. He was a warrior poet. He wasn't simply a poet. He was a warrior poet, a very unusual combination. But he was that kind of man. When he would throw the stones, throw the stones, I can only in my mind's eye, I don't know this for a fact, but I would imagine that as he would take care of the sheep, he would practice, he would put stones in his sling and he would whirl that sling around and he'd let it go and he would practice and practice and practice. It came in handy when he delivered the sheep of his father Jesse from the grip of bears, he said, and lions. It came in handy. But it was certainly through practice that he was ready to throw that one stone. He wouldn't have had much time to throw at Goliath and he hit the mark perfectly. How does one become competent? We become competent by self-discipline. Remember what we read from 2 Timothy 1.7? God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and what? Self-discipline. Leonardo da Vinci, the great artist of the Sistine Chapel and other places, we marvel at the anatomical correctness. When you look at every feature of what he did. It's just amazing. And you see many of the sketches that he did. It's amazing how accurate they are. How did he develop that? He had an innate skill to do it to begin with. I could practice the way he did and still it wouldn't turn out looking like anything that would vaguely resemble a part of the body. But it's said that he would spend a thousand attempts at sketching a hand before he would go to put it in the chapel or on other media as he would do it. A thousand times. Have you ever done anything one time, one thing one thousand times just so you could get it right? That takes self-discipline. We need to be men and women who take the skills God has given us and be sure we give proper attention to their development. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 1, the Bible says, We who are following Christ are to throw aside the weight that so easily hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us as we run this race. Well, the thing that hinders us is a neutral thing. It's not a sin. It's something different. And there are lots of neutral things which vie for our attention and affection. But we need to realize that the development of the character of God and also the competency that comes from our yielding ourselves to the Spirit of God and developing those things for God's honor and God's use require self-discipline, self-denial. What's the outcome of such behavior? Proverbs 22:29 says, Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Now, why would anyone want to stand before a king? I have no interest in standing before a king. And there may have been a time when I was younger and less mature that I would have enjoyed that, but I don't have any interest in that today. I think part of the reason is because I can come into the presence of the king of kings every day. We know the Lord. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So why would someone want 
Why would God say, hone your skills, sharpen them, so that you'll become a person who's not living in obscurity, but you'll come into a place of influence, not just for people who are not over many people, but in the presence of people of big-time authority. Here's why. It would be to share the love of Christ with somebody. Think about Paul. He came before a man named Felix, a man named Festus, who were agents of the Roman Empire in Palestine at that time. But then he came before Nero twice, the emperor. And I guarantee you, we know he spoke the gospel to Felix and Festus. He didn't waste the opportunity when God gave it to him to come before Nero. He shared the gospel with them, the gospel of Christ. Now, there's no indication that any of those three men came to Christ, but they heard the gospel. They had the opportunity. What are you competent in? What kind of talents or gifts has God given to you? Natural talents? Artistry? Writing? Some sport? Teaching? Practicing medicine? Practicing the law? You can fill in the blank. You're good at something. God's given you talent for it. But the important thing is that your character is developed by the Lord, shaped by the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and your trust in God. So you can use it. What are we to do? Well, we're to refuse to neglect the gift that God's given us. It's wrong for you or me to neglect the talent or gift God has given to us. It takes training. It takes self-control. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 4, verse 23, the Bible talks about that we are to guard our heart with diligence. Why? Because out of it come the wellsprings of life. David was a man who walked in the integrity of his heart. And the word heart in biblical language means in the integrity of what he thought, the mind, in the integrity of what he chose to do, the will, and also the emotions. His mind, his will, and his emotions were under the control of God. And his heart was guarded that way. God wants us to guard our hearts. Here's how you do it. You set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. You recognize Jesus as the rightful owner of your life, your master to whom you look for direction. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we want to be men and women whose lives matter, not just for time, but forever. We ask You, Lord, to fill us with Your Spirit. We ask You, Lord, to saturate our minds with the Word of God. We know that means that we have to open the Bible and read it and meditate on it. We ask You, Lord, to shape us in our faith because we know without faith it's impossible to please You. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.